Allow me to reintroduce myself. My name is Ho. Oh, H to the OV. I used to move snowflakes by the OZ. I guess even back then you can call me CEO of the ROC. Ho. Fresh out the frying pan into the fire. I be the music biz number one supplier. Flyer than a piece of paper bearing my name. Got the hottest chick in the game wearing my chain. That's right, ho. Not DOC, but similar to them letters. No one could do it better. I check chatter like a food inspector. My homie Strick told me, dude, finish your breakfast. What's good, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Yamtelica TIS podcast with your host, yours truly, Jai Shields, here on this football Friday, the second one of the new football season, Friday, September the 15th, uh, according to the Gregorian calendar, the year 2023, jam-packed show here for you this weekend of the big-time baseball series for my Baltimore Orioles as they already uh, dropped the game on a Thursday night last night, which we'll get to here at the top uh, between their matchup, their four-game weekend series between them and the Tampa Bay Rays. I will lead with that. Uh, plenty of things I want to scream about about my uh, Baltimore Orioles or concerning my Baltimore Orioles, mind you, uh, because they have hit an abutment and it has been a rough week for my uh, orange and black team on the baseball diamond. We'll get to them. Of course, uh, you got Vikings and Eagles. Thursday night football uh, game last night. Eagles dominate and are 2-0. and uh, The Minnesota Vikings are in for nine miles of uh, rough road <laughs> to, to be uh, in this 2000 and two, the Minnesota Vikings that is in this 2023 season uh, are in, boy, are they in for a rough, rough, rough season. Get to them. Of course, the week two preview, you got the uh, Baltimore Ravens going to Cincinnati, the jungle, to take on my Cincinnati Bengals. Bengals trying to get off the snide and to get their first win of the season. Ravens trying to get improved to 2-0. Top of the AFC North for the Bengals, a home opener. We'll get to that. Seahawks-Lions, uh, Chiefs-Jaguars, of course, uh, the Jets and more. Aaron Rodgers' uh, conversation as the show progresses and the week two picks against the spread. But where he will begin... Is with my Baltimore Orioles, man. And I tell you something right now. This team better show up. This team better be lively. This team better be alive. This team better play with some gumption. Better play with some heart. Better, I better see championship level at bats. I need to see great defense in the, in the outfield, in the infield, and everywhere else in between. I need to see A-plus top-tier, high-level baseball for my Baltimore Orioles, not just tonight on Friday night, but throughout the rest of this weekend. Because let me tell you something right now. If this series ends and I wake up on Monday morning and the Orioles are no longer in control of uh, first place in the American League East, and God forbid we don't have that tiebreaker, uh, which means by virtue of us not having a tiebreaker at, at the series end, we would get swept. It's not going to be a pretty sight, and I recommend that you guys uh, listen to Tuesday's program if that is the case, because your boy is going to put up. He's going to be that uh, that Wilt Chamberlain meme where he has like the twenty rebounds and fifty four points, and you know that 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 meme get that gets tossed around all the time with that great stat line, Wilt Chamberlain. Well, that is going to be me uh, if the Orioles don't wake the hell up and. Uh, 
produce some winning baseball this weekend against Tampa. And it's going to be even worse if the Bengals uh, have another one of their embarrassing, gutless, heartless, spineless performances against the Ravens coming up on Sunday afternoon. So if you are rooting for my sanity, you want to root for the Bengals and the Ravens this weekend. If you want to root for a great show on Tuesday morning, Tuesday afternoon, pull like hell for the Ravens and the Rays, and you'll get a, uh, a show that you'll never forget on uh, come Tuesday. But anyway, Baltimore Orioles, man, they got to find a way to hit. And I went and looked at their numbers, uh, and they've had, a, and I say a rough week because it really goes back to the final game of the weekend series uh, last Sunday against the Boston Red Sox. They went in that game, which they lost seven to uh, a game in which they lost seven to three. A uh, start that uh, Grayson had didn't have his best stuff. He's a young pitcher. He's had a sensational second half of the season. The bad starts happened. The season was, uh, you know, the season was, uh, or excuse me, the series was already won. So I, 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 it's more so about the bats. And I understand it's difficult to get on the bats because you look at, you know, the two games before they scored a combined. Uh, uh, 24 runs and found a way to win. And, uh, or if you want to include the uh, game three of the Angels series, they scored a combined 10, 11, that's 21, plus 13, 13 plus 21, that is 33. So they scored a combined 33 runs in the previous three games. And the offense doesn't have it, it doesn't have it. But it, but what, where I bring up, the reason why I bring up that bad offensive performance Sunday afternoon at Fenway Park, against the Red Sox so that it looked like and it appeared that it had set a trend and was beginning to set a trend which has plagued this team all week long the Orioles in case ladies and gentlemen you didn't know they scored three runs on Sunday afternoon okay they went two for six with runners in scoring position on Sunday they left three Orioles on base you skip over their tremendous comeback win, Mullins with the Grand Slam to beat the Cardinals on a Monday night. They won the game 11-5. Game two, uh, Tuesday night, they scored two runs. They went one for 12 on Tuesday night with runners in scoring position. They left 10 runners on base, completely unacceptable. Wednesday night, just as feeble. Zero, hit, zero runs on only three hits got shut out. 0 for 6 with runners in scoring position. They left seven guys on base, and this is a, and this is against Adam a, a retiring Adam Wayne Wainwright, who's years past his prime. Who's had a, who I understand good good to a very good to great pitcher, but still Adam Wainwright, who's past his prime, had a has had a horrendous season. His final year for the Redbirds and Drew Rom, a pitcher who we traded to St. Louis to get Jack Flaherty, who's been a complete and utter embarrassment uh, ever since he donned the orange and black in early August. They went oh, they went a combined one for 18 with two combined runs and 17 guys left on base in the two losses against the Cardinals. I understand it happens as part of the doldrums and the grind and the fight and the, and the, and the, uh, the uh, machine, for lack of a better word, of uh, of Orioles playoff of Orioles playoff uh, Orioles playoff of a September pennant pennant race baseball. I understand. I get it. It happens. But at the but at the same time, you know, against the last place Cardinals team, 
you got to give me better than that. And it and it all it did was just snowball uh, because last night, man, last night's loss really, really, really pissed me off and had me annoyed. The Orioles put up three runs, two of them on solo home runs by the likes of Gunnar Henderson and Ryan O'Hearn. They had another feeble night offensively where not only could they not score runs, they couldn't get base hits. Uh, and, and don't get me wrong, I get it, the... Tampa Bay Rays offense, or excuse me, the Tampa Bay Rays starting pitching is still the cream of the crop of all of baseball, and that's why the team, despite their struggles essentially from July onward, but that's why they they've still been able to stay alive and be on the Orioles' tail and provide uh, an element of heat on the or on the back of the Orioles' necks for a first place lead uh, in the American League East because they can pitch. But it looks horrendous where you say, well, you know what? The Rays pitching got to tip your hat. They scored. They were able to score three runs, and they were very hard to come by. I could come on this show this afternoon and say that had not, again, the previous two games, the the two previous the two previous two games, the two previous two losses against Air against the St. Louis, they want to combine one for six with runners scoring position, left seventeen guys on base, and again had scored a combined two runs in both games. If they if they don't put up those if they don't put up that column of a of a statistic in those two games against the last place Cardinals, and you lose game four three against Tampa, it sucks. But hey, you know they ran into a bus saw. They're starting pitching sensation. But as an Orioles fan, die hard that has been on top of this team that has that could probably count on one hand how many games I've missed all season long from late March all the way till early mid September. All I see, what I see, my perspective is a issue that has plagued this team all week long, and it's and the snowball has continued to roll and roll and roll and roll and roll. I mean, think about this. This in their losses this week, with the eleven to five game win against uh, St. Louis aside, this week that Sunday to last night thus far, you know the Orioles combined, okay, combined have scored eight runs, eight runs. They have they are hitting four for twenty seven with runners in scoring position. You want to do the math on that? Four for 27 in one, two, three, four losses this week. Four for 27. That comes out. You do the math. That is a 148 batting average with runners in scoring position. Okay? That is now. And the reason why I'm making such a big deal is because, and I understand some's happened. But this is a team whose bread and butter all season long have been, they have been one of the best top tier premier teams in the American League and in the sport, hitting with runs to scoring position. And the fact that this team in their most, one of their most stressful, most important weeks of baseball that they've played all season long, that the bats have all of a sudden gone ice cold, has me annoyed, has me frustrated, has me pissed off has me uh, impatient, and has me expecting impending doom. By the way, combined runners left on base in the four losses, 21. So 21 runners left on base, hitting 148 with runners in scoring position, and have scored eight runs in the last four games. Eight. And if you want me to include the 11 that they scored against, against, against St. Louis, it's 19 runs. 
and 11 out of the 19 came in one game, if you want to include the one win that they've had this week, and that was Monday night against St. Louis. So this team better get off the deck. I mean, it, it better get off the deck. And one and listen, I understand and I get it that the umpiring, especially in the game last night, and there's been a, a ton of games I could be here till Christmas, you know, re- recalling the horrendous, the horrendous umpiring, you know, that the Orioles have been subjected to all season long. I get that, but can Brandon Hyde? And I understand that you know you don't that uh, you know. Th- getting thrown out of a game because of bad umpiring isn't worth it because then you have to deal with uh because you got to do with uh because you got to deal with uh Freddie Gonzalez making the decisions off the bench this that and the third but at some point Brandon Hyde for the fact not necessarily for the fans but for the players I would, for one time, with these games being as monumental as they are, knowing that his team hasn't hit worth a lick consistently since la- since essentially last Saturday, since last Saturday, last weekend in Boston, can Brandon Hyde get? And this is a minor nitpick, but it would go a long way if he did this. Can Brandon Hyde get off his tail? And when his team, when Gunner, when Adley. When Anthony Santander, when any of his guys strike out looking on a questionable call by the home plate umpire or from questionable to just outright egregious, I thought it doesn't matter to me. But can he for once scream, yell, cuss out the umpire from the dunk? I'm not saying trying to get himself thrown out of the game, but bring me that element of not being afraid to call out the umpires way too many times. And it's been all season long. The only time he did get thrown out from a game is when there was the, uh, the bad call, not even on a, on a, on a, uh, on, on a ball strike thing. The one time that the most recent time he's got thrown out this year was when he had the beef with the first base umpire in the first game of the Houston series back in all back in August. I think it was a matter of was the guy safe was the on the bag off the, something along those lines, it, 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 but it had nothing to do with balls and strikes. And that's the one element of Brandon Hyde's game that, dare I say, or one part about him as a manager that, dare I say, I'm jealous of Aaron Boone compared to him. Because if Aaron Boone was the manager of the team, Ailey Orders would be a lot worse off. But if but if Aaron Boone was managing this team in terms of him just being a figurehead watching the game from the dugout in the, in the manager's role, he'd have gotten thrown out about, like, a half a dozen times, if not more. If, if Aaron Boone is sitting in the Orioles' dugout last night, he's getting thrown out. Which, and I've, you guys know, I've criticized Aaron Boone at Infinita, but the one thing about Aaron Boone that I respect and that I like about him is that he has no tolerance for the, for the, for the garbage of piss-poor umpiring. And Aaron Boone, as an ex-player, knows, and again, that's the one minute thing I appreciate since it's been imagining, that's the one thing that I look at and I'm like, you know, I, I, I appreciate that about him. Can't manage the bullpen, can't do this, can't do that. But I tell you one thing, when it comes to holding these umpires accountable, when, when they deliberately stick their beaks in the game and take the bat out of, out of his players' hands, he, he's, he's not, he's not going to take it. He's not going to sit there like a lame duck in the dugout and take it. No, he's going to get on the top step. He's going to scream and yell. He's going to cuss him out. He's going to, and if he gets, and if he's get, and if he gets provoked to go out the home plate and go nose nose on the home plate umpire, he's not going to back down. And he, and he's going to, 
he's going to undress him with his words, and he and he and he's going to get his money's worth. And just for a couple times here and there, I wish Brandon Hyde would do that. I again, I, these games are monumental, and you don't want necessarily, you know, your season being in the hands of your bench coach when it comes to making moves that could make or break or alter your season. But uh, there's been quite a few times where I'm like, how in the world has Brandon Hyde not said a word? Like I understand patience and ha- and having a high tolerance level of umpire BS, but at some point, when do you snap? And show to your players, hey, I got your back. This this is ridiculous enough. So I'm not saying that he doesn't have his back, but I think a couple times, especially during this stretch of piss poor hitting that the Orioles are under right now, it would do his it would do his players and the team a huge huge uh, act of uh, of of good service if. He comes across another horrendous performance by the umpires tonight, and he goes out there in front of that sold-out crowd in Baltimore tonight. And they're going to be packed Saturday, Sunday, and football Sunday. Bengals-Ravens, I'm not sure. But but I know tonight and tomorrow the place is going to be jammed. And if his team and the bats are still feeble and are mustering, you know, one hit for every, you know, six to nine outs – I got to see Brent and, and the home plate umpiring is terrible. The team can't hit, and then the umpire just adds extra gasoline to the fire. I got to see Hyde. So, it, something has got to, and that's what made Earl Weaver great. He knew sometimes, you know, the players sometimes would laugh at his tirades because it'd just be downright comedy on a baseball field. And then other times, they'd get inspired by it. Like, hey, look at this guy. You know, he he's not he's not picking up a bat, stepping into the batter's box. He's not, you know, out there fielding fielding ground balls, fielding fly balls, running after the ball in the get in the gaps in the outfield. No, but he's he has our back when he when he detests that we're getting holes. When he detests bull drive from the from from the from the men in black, the men in blue, he's going to make it his business to to to, to say something about it. And to do it loudly, and to do it as boldly as 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 he possibly can. That's the one thing about Hyde that I don't like. He he, he is way too mum in game when it comes to piss poor umpiring. And in moments like this, where the team needs a little bit of an of an extra umph, a little a spark plug to 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 to. to give a rebirth to some life on, on this team in terms of uh, them getting on base, having great at-bats, and lighting the scoreboard up, they need that from him. Because if they can't continue to hit, I don't, I don't know what more you got to do. They brought Hearstad up. The the crowd is going to be into it from innings one through nine. They're going to be into it, screaming at the top of their lungs, chanting, clapping, the whole nine yards. They're bringing Adam Jones back. The, the you're pulling out all the stops. You pull you're pulling out all of your bags of tricks, and for whatever the reason, this weekend they still can't find a way to hit. Brandon High and the um, not if the umpiring is is good. If it's good, leave it alone. But if the umpiring is bad. Or, or to borderline questionable, Hyde has to do something. I'm almost at the point where it's like if the umpiring is bad, get thrown out for the sake of just getting thrown out. So, you, so the team, so the team sees sees you turn beat red, sees you cussing, hears you cussing, sees you throwing your hat. The fans see it, they go nuts and inject some life in it. something. 
because this team outside of their win on Monday night has been sleepwalking the distance, has been sleepwalking away the lead in the American League East this entire week. Their offense has been pathetic. Pathetic. You know, give up one lousy run on Wednesday night. Got to find a way to win the ball game. Thursday night, same thing. Kyle Bradish, 3-1 count, and he leaves a cookie right over the heart of the plate. I mean, and he's done a sensational job this season, but that's just borderline. That, that's, you can't, you, that, in a series of this magnitude this late in the season, you can't have that. Case closed, end of story, can't debate it. It just, it, it cannot happen. But damn it, the Orioles better find a way to fix it. I don't care what you got to do. I don't care who, who's got to talk to the team. Do something. But you cannot, and even after this series is over, there's still a good portion of the season left. But it, it, it's it, this cannot continue like this. A, you can't get swept. And B, you can't lose this series. That would they would win the tiebreaker if they lose this series, but that would just put more pressure on the Orioles to make sure that they finish no worse than Tampa Bay. So if you want to make like life easier on yourself, no worse split. I would be in love with a three-game little streak to close out the homestand and to end the series. But the way that it's going right now, you're not gonna you 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 now the now it's like that you'll automatically you know hit if you're a wildcard team you'll hit the road you know you'll get three home games in your building but the uh, but you can sense that this team especially this week has been running on fumes mentally tired physically tired Mount Castle didn't come out of the game because he heard he had a pop in, he heard a pop in his left shoulder but the MRI came back clean thank God. This team, I can sense it, is running on fumes. Spit and duct tape with no with no Felix Batista either. Like throwing pregame, hours before the game, but I don't know if we'll see him and, and again this season. And if we do, they're not gonna they're not they're not gonna use him in these games the rest of the month of September. If he is for whatever reason available, they want to save that silver bullet when they need it. And when they'll really, really need him is in is in October. Because by hook or by crook, the Orioles are going to the playoffs either way. I mean, I know premature to say that the magic number is still stuck at four, but they but they're they're gonna make it. Even if this even if by some ungodly reason, God forbid, they get swept by Tampa Bay this weekend. You know, they, ha- they, they, you know, and I understand they got Houston, uh, you know, they, their next road trip, they begin in Houston, uh, you know, or no, they got, uh, yeah, they're in Houston and then they're in Cleveland next weekend. Whether it's this weekend or the next weekend, the Orioles are, go- are going to clinch that playoff berth. This, uh, they are. So that, so that's already a done deal. So, and the Orioles, knowing that, they're going to save Batista for when they need him, and when they'll need him is when their season is on the line in October. But the Orioles got to fix it, man. And I understand that that the that the pitching has to has to share a little bit of the blame as well. Kyle Bradish wasn't as as wasn't as great as or good as he should have been last night, but he's given you but he's given you a solid season all year long. But he you know he was not particularly that good last night. 
Uh, Flair, Jack Flaherty stinks, serves up betting practice. Adam Fanina, who's on the mound tonight. I mean, forget him. Uh, and, uh, I mean, you can't kill John Means overturned the other night. He coming off the Tommy John surgery, so you kind of have to – and he didn't necessarily – and he didn't really have a great night at the office, but you got to cut him some slack. It's the first time him towing a, a major league pitcher is now pitching in a major league game since April of last year. So I don't. So no matter how bad he is, you kind of have to you you kind of have to give him a free pass. Regard whatever if he p performs badly, you kind of have to give him a free pass regardless. Because albeit the Orioles are in the middle of a pennant race against the last place team, it's his first action on the mound since since April of 2022. But everybody else has got has got to be has got to do better than that. I expect uh, you know got got to be better. Got to be better. The starting pitching. And that's where the, where the starting pitch has to step up and carry some of the slack because many times the starting pitching during the season has not has had their has had their bad days has had their off nights and the offense comes out and bails them out you know they're down in a three nothing four nothing five nothing hole the Orioles offense explodes and they win the game you know thirteen eight or thirteen five or or uh, or twelve to four or twelve three now it's time for the Orioles starting pitcher to do them a favor. You know, you hold them two, no more than two, one run. You got to go mano mano with these guys. You've been in first place for the better part of the last two months. And it'd be a crying shame if, if they blow it because the team can't, because it can't hit. I understand good pitching stops good hitting, but what I, in the Cardinals series was not good pitching. That was piss poor hitting on the part of the Orioles. And if they are want to be serious and they want to take this season, take the division and take the number one seed by the balls and run with it and showcase their dominance to the rest of the sport and say, hey, we're the Baltimore Orioles. We're not blowing this division lead. This division is ours. Go out there and hit until, until your hands fall off tonight. Now it's going to be hard putting up, you know, a 10, 12, 13, 15 piece on the on the Rays starting pitching, but I mean hit. And I mean hit well and hit consistently. Because four hits last night, half of them being home runs, the other two being uh bunt singles in large part because of the Rays piss poor communication out there in, on the infield. That's that that's not championship baseball. You know, bases loaded early in the game. You walk away with one run to tie the game on a dopey fielder's choice. Really? Really? They have to be better. Case closed. I don't care how you do it. Find a way to get a hit. You've you've done a decent job at hitting Tampa Bay all season long. This weekend, it, it shouldn't be a problem. Shouldn't. And hide if you got a bad umpire. You know, and and it's the same crap, different toilet. You know, by the fifth, sixth, seventh inning, and it's a tight ball game, and your team needs base runners, your team needs hits, your teams needs runs, and the home plate umpire continues to take the bat out of your best hitter's hands. I cease. I need to see something. Turn the Gatorade uh, cooler over. Throw you something. Because I and I understand you don't want to get thrown out of these games and leave the lineup card in Freddie Gonzalez's hands and the bullpen's decisions in Freddie's hands, but if this team is still dead 
and they're getting, if it's essentially a deja vu from last night where the team can't hit and the umpiring is terrible, I got to see him flip his lid to provide a spark. Because again, Kierstad's up, Adam Jones is here, retirement night, sold out packed crowds, national team, all the socks have been pulled out for the Orioles. And at least as latest as last night, it's still the same story what we saw on Tuesday and Wednesday night. Find a way to fix it. Now, speaking of Adam Jones, he is getting he is retiring as an Oreo tonight. I, he may or may not have his number retired. I'm not particularly sure, but I know he is retiring as an Oreo tonight. And they have a pregame ceremony for him at 6:30 coming up uh, before the game time. Just to read you his uh, marks on the or his franchise ranks in terms of the best Orioles uh, of all time. He ranks fourth on the Orioles in hits, total bases, at-bats, fifth in home runs, fifth in runs, fifth in RBIs, fifth in extra base hits, seventh in doubles, eighth in games played, tenth in triples, and tenth in stolen bases. We give Adam Jones his flowers, of course. The great center fielder for my Baltimore Orioles from 2011, excuse me, from 2008 to 2018. I mean, just one of my favorite players, of course, growing up as a kid and uh, just a sensational baseball player. I'm glad he's getting his flowers from the Orioles uh, organization uh, tonight. That game on Apple uh, TV Plus of all places. So, uh, so fancy that. Uh, in terms of uh, the football, as we change our mind and attention, why in the world are we wearing those pants? Oh my God, I'm looking at the at the at my e at my inbox. Why in the world are the or my Bengals wearing the color rush pants? There is not a worse co uniform combination than that we have. Is where we wear the black home jersey with the road white and black color rush looking pants oh my god i hate um i hate that uniform combination a we never win in it for one thing and b it is it's a it's a awful looking uniform i mean you got black and orange on the top and then white and black with white being the base on the bottom i mean just just horrendous horrendous uniform look anyway i digress to the game last night um, I don't know what more, what, what more can you say? The Philadelphia Eagles imposed their will on the Minnesota Vikings and the Vikings who couldn't stop turning over the football, you know, and they, as the way it looks right now, going to be in for a long season. That offensive line is a mess. They lost another alignment in the sequence of the game last night. Kirk Cousins got sacked twice. Uh, but not a bad night. Uh, 364, four touchdowns, uh, no interceptions, 31 of 34 completion percentage. Uh, they cannot run the ball whatsoever. I mean, they Dalvin Cook, you think they miss him? You bet your ass they do. Alexander uh, Madison, eight carries, 28 yards average, and three yards a carry. I mean, that is horrendous football. As a team, they ran the ball only nine times for 28 yards. Uh, Justin Jefferson, again, same story, different toilet uh, with the game on Sunday afternoon against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Uh, 13 targets, 11 receptions for 159 yards. 
and Kirk Cousins, you know, had a great night, but they could not take care of the football. You look at the uh, turnovers from Minnesota. They turned over the football. Uh, they turned over the football. Uh, they turned over the football. Um, at you know, uh, they had uh, four. Fu- they had four fumbles. They had four. Why am I? No, it was the Eagles. I'm sorry. The Eagles had the four turnovers. The Vikings did not. But the Vikings' problem is I misread that stat in the box score. The uh, the the problem with the Vikings is that they could not stop the run. They have. They are going to be in. I said nine miles of bad bad road and a rough season. DeAndre Swift. 28 carries for 175 yards last night and a touchdown. You ha- he averaged 6.2 yards a carry. And uh, ba- and uh, Boston Scott, although he had a feeble 5-carry 40 uh, rushing yard performance, he averaged 8 yards a carry. His longest long his longest run of the night went for eighteen yards. Swift's longest run of the night went for forty went for forty three yards. I mean, it was just a ground and pound. You can't stop the run, so that's going to be our game plan type of game. So, I, mean, well, I don't know what more you need to see. I mean, were they sloppy in the game? Yes. Turn, uh, do the turnovers concern me? That they had a uh, some some uh, ill timed piss poor turnovers. Um. Of course, in a game uh, back on Sunday in New England against the Patriots, uh, they didn't. You know, the turnover was the the turnover was the difference in the game and was the deciding factor in the game. Of course, Hertz's fumble in the Super Bowl that went for a scoop and score, uh, that went for a, a scoop and score and a, a seven points for Kansas City and ended up being the uh, difference maker uh, back in February. Had problems taking care of the football last week against New England, and then yes, last night they had problems taking care of the football against Philadelphia. They fumbled a football. Uh, they fumbled football three times. They lost. Uh, they lost. Uh, or they lost. Um, three fumble. They lost three fumbles. Hurts threw an inter. Uh, Hurts threw a uh, threw a horrendous interception in the early in the first half. They got to do a better job of taking care of uh, taking care of the football. Both teams do. I mean, it was a sloppy. T- it was a sloppy turnover fest between the two between the two teams last night. And uh, listen, you can equate it and account it for, you know, this essentially being preseason week two for these teams. You know, they had the uh, week one was uh, preseason week one for the starters. And then week two is uh, preseason week two and so on and so forth. You know, you equate it to the sloppiness of September football, man. But the Eagles, you know, they had they had moments in the game where they uh, asserted their dominance over uh, the Vikings in terms of their run game and their pass rush on the defensive side. But uh, in terms of them ha- being, looking like a well-oiled machine, I'm not panicking, but they but they certainly didn't show it last night. Again, not panicking, only week two. You know, I heard uh, I heard Stephen A. say uh, say this morning, Concerned about Philadelphia because they're not playing with the level of swagger they did last season. It's the second. It's the second 
game of the uh, it's the second game of the season. They put pl- they've played they played two games. Or se- yeah, I had it right the first one. What the fuck was I talking about? Sorry. Uh, the Vikings they lost four fumbles because the NFL stat has it a lot clearer than the one in the CBS Sports app. But uh, the Vikings lost four fumbles, so very sloppy on their part. Hurts, of course, still had so they had the one interception, and that was uh, Jalen Hurts on the. Uh, on the uh, horrendous uh, horrendous pass and a double coverage early in the first half. But uh, the Vikings had four fumbles lost, could not take care of the football, could not stop the run, and could not run the football. So you factor that in. That, I mean, that is just uh, – you can't win football games that way. Putting the ball on the ground, you can't stop the run. And then in turn, they let the Eagles, who could run – who ran the uh, who ran the Vikings out of the building and converted and uh, – who ran the Vikings out of the building, you know that they won time of possession, 39 minutes, 28 seconds to the Vikings, 20-32. I mean, the Eagles kicked the Vikings' tail and kept Kirk Cousins and their offense off the field. They dominated in time of possession. So, and the real key, I boiled this game down to the fact of the turnovers, time of pos- turnovers, time of possession, and the run game. Those are the three differences in the game. Turnovers, time of possession, run game. Eagles dominated the dominated the Vikings in those three categories because the Vikings. You listen, they only had two penalties the entire night. They converted on third down sixty percent of the time, and they averaged seven yards and they averaged seven yards a play. And Kirk Cousins had a you could make the argument that Kirk Cousins outplayed Jalen Hurts. Uh, I'll play Jalen Hurst for the 60 minutes in the game as well, too. You know, and then there was a, a sequence late in the fourth quarter where where you, where you, at least I got the sense that Philadelphia, you know, they had gotten their game. They thought they, you know, obviously were going to win the game. And they, and Jalen Hurst was just content with sitting on the football. I believe it was their second to last offensive possession in the fourth quarter. They were just content with this, just sitting on the lead and sitting on the football. And, you know, he, he Hurts took a couple of sacks. And they were like, you know what, we'll just, we won't do too much of this. We'll sit on the, on the football rest of this possession. We got the game and away we go. Which, you know, if you want to nitpick, on how Philadelphia, you know, that would concern you. You know, they didn't go for the, they didn't make, they didn't have their minds made up either to run out the clock or to put the stake through the Vikings and that's go for the gusto, gusto and put the ball in the end zone. And you saw, uh, and you saw that, uh, that, uh, what's his face? Sirianni was giving the assistant coach the business on the sideline. So not a well-polished performance from the Philadelphia Eagles, but certainly one where they asserted their dominance and they made sure that they were not going to walk out of that game. There's a home opener last night with a loss. Uh, they, you know, they, they, it was one of those games where Philadelphia, they didn't rely outside of a big pass play, a couple of big pass plays to Devonta Smith. They did not rely on their elite two-headed monster wide receivers for them to win that game. They didn't rely on them. Smith and A.J. Brown, who's all bent out of shape, screaming and yelling on the sideline. They, it was that's just the way that the game fold, the way that the game uh, folded. They they had a strong running game. Minnesota couldn't stop it, and that was their bread and butter and their formula for success. It happens, especially especially early in the season when you're still trying to find yourself. Get your feet wet. Still want to shake the little, 
the little and remaining kinks and 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 and, and, and rust off, you know, from training camp, from preseason. And that was just the way that it went. Hurston didn't play his greatest game, but he didn't have to because his team ran the ball well. So give the Eagles credit, you know, by hook or by crook, a uh, multi uh multi a multi-dimensional uh resourceful offensive team that can beat you at a various amount of different ways, which is a uh which is a testament to how great and how talented that Eagles team is. And that they, uh, and that the, you know, that they can, or and that not, and not that this was breaking news, but that they are a team to be reckoned with, and a and still a team that, that the rest of the foot, that the rest of uh, the NFL has to take seriously the remainder uh, of the season. But you give the Eagles and Sirianni tremendous credit; they found a way to win. The Philadelphia Eagles are two and zero. Kirk Cousins had a very good start to uh, his se- very good start to his season uh, thus uh, thus far, but the problem is is that the uh, Vikings defense has had back to back lapsed performances uh, in the first two games in five days uh, for Minnesota. Kirk Cousins he had he's thrown six touchdown passes to one interception for seven hundred and eight passing yards already with a completion percentage of seventy two percent in the first two games of the season and the Vikings are zero two. They and I boil it down to these things: turnovers and their and turnovers, bad defense, and their inability to run the ball. That's why the Vikings are zero two. They miss Dalvin Cook in the running game. It's become a one-dimensional offense. The just the Justin Jefferson show, and that's it. And their defense has certainly fallen off a cliff, at least in the first two games of the season. They let Bacon Mayfield uh, go uh, go back in time to his, to his 2020 season for him uh, on Sunday, and the Eagles, in which was you know, for their standards, they had a they had an off night, especially. Uh, thrown especially in the passing game, they still allowed the Eagles to run. Uh, for again, I read the stat line one more time. Allowed the Eagles to run for run for um, two hundred and fifty nine yards on the ground and put up thirty four points. That's a that's the, that's not that's not good enough. I I understand it, you know, short field position because of the turnovers, but that's that's not it's not a recipe to win football games. It's not. As far as the rest of Week Two of National Football League is concerned, Ravens and Bengals. Uh, let me tell you this: you know the Bengals, like my Orioles this weekend, is put up a shut up time. You know you got to you got to g- get off the Schneid, bring your offense, and, uh, and 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 be ready to go to war and go to battle. Because I am not going to be a happy camper, and I'm not going to be very understanding uh, if this team uh, wets the bed offensively again and doesn't post and loses and drops to zero and two in the uh, win loss column, uh, especially in the AFC North, which is which, like I said earlier this week, is a double whammy. You got to show up offensively. Um, now, am I expecting the Orioles or the Orioles? Am I expecting the Bengals to go off for, you know, and score 31, score 31, 35, 30, to score 30 plus points on Sunday? No, I'm not. It, it'd be, I, I would love for it to happen. 
I was it would be a, a pleasant surprise. But am I expecting that? No, they they gotta work. They gotta work on baby steps. But this team has got to 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 find a way to generate some offense and put the ball in the end and put the ball in the end zone and uh and 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 get and make it and and don't be a stranger to it as well. Uh, they got to find a way to run the ball with Mixon. Uh Burrow gave uh, gave murky murky inclinations that his calf isn't what he would like it to is well enough for him to play but it's not what he li- what he would like it to be a full 100%. He said that when he met with the media earlier this week. So if that's the case, and you know the Ravens love the blitz, and they love to get in Lamar's face, or Lamar's face, they love to get in Burrow's face, and love to, you know, give him a short window of time for him to, you know, when he takes that step, short window of opportunity, Joe, balls in your hands for two seconds, and by the time that second Mississippi comes around, you better make up in your mind what the hell you want to do with the ball. So I would be, I am, what I'm going to look for, objectively speaking, and from a Ravens perspective, I'm looking forward to seeing if, how, and if the Ravens are going to make Joe Burrow work and run on his calf. Are they going to make, are they going to make him scramble out the pocket? Are they going to uh, make him, you know, roll around, roll away, you know, uh, do pirouettes inside and outside the Are they going to make, are they going to make Joe Burrow run with full force, all systems go, oh, and, and test out that calf muscle. Is that is is that what the Ravens are going to do? I'm looking forward to seeing that. Um, and if that's, you know, and I want to see Burrow, I want to see, and if that is the case, how quick will Zach Taylor and Brian Callahan, the Bengals' two offensive masterminds, how quick will they pick up on it? And make a and 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 how quick will they be uh, at making adjustments to neutralizing what would what in hypothetically would be a, a strength of the Ravens defense? How quickly will they see it, see it, uh, claim it, address it, and then make the adjust and then make the necessary adjustments? Which means that if the or if the Ravens pass rush is in, is in Burrow's face. Or if they get, or if they're doing a good job of of having Burrow rushes throws and 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 you see basically a repeat performance or a semi similar performance of what happened in the, in Cleveland last Sunday, will Joe and they give the and they you know will they take the ball out of Joe Mixon's hands like they did on Sunday? They shouldn't, and if they do, I'm screaming, yelling, raise holy hell! But if if it if it turns out like Philadelphia. If the game presents itself, if the ebbs and flows of the game present itself where it's got to be a Joe Mixon game, then it's got to be a Joe Mixon game. Then listen, they got they got big time wide receivers, Devonta Smith, uh, Devonta Smith, AJ Brown, Dallas got it in tight end, the Bengals, Chase Higgins, and Tyler Boyd. But if the game, but if the flow of the game and the Ravens defense is giving them. Is giving Joe Mixon the running lanes and is daring him to run the football because they know that listen, hook up by crook, you're not let you're you're not dropping five hundred passing yards on our heads. And if that means we'll give Joe Mixon, you know, a solid rushing performance, you know, he runs for two touchdowns and and and, and a buck sixty nine, you know what? 
We, we let Joe Mixon beat us. We let Joe Mixon beat us. I want to see if the Bengals address that, if they see that, and if it's and if that opportunity is presented to them on a silver platter, will they take advantage of it? If the if the defense presents it either because of ineptitude or because they have a game plan where it's like, okay, the Joe Burrow bounce back game where he drops 400 yards passing and four touchdowns and ain't going to be today, not on our watch. If that happens, I need to see so you know what? They're giving they're giving us an opportunity to run the ball and run and giving Joe Joe Mixon the opportunity to run like a deer when the ball is in his hands. And if, and if that means Joe Burrow throws the ball ten times for eighty two yards, but we win but we win the game by 17, 21 points, you know what? I'll take it. I will take it. If it presents itself that Joe Mixon has to run, has to be our primary source of offense. If that's what it takes for us to win, that's what it takes. Because being hell bent with Joe Burrow dropping back 30, 35 times, run, you can't win every single game that way. You can't. Some most days, some days you can, but when the but when the game right from the jump says. This ain't gonna be one of them Joe Burrow days where he throws y'all to to t- throws y'all to uh, to putting up points. If it is, if that's the case, that's the case. You see it, acknowledge it, adjust, and move on. And you and you do what you can, whatever you got to do to win. I need to see that from Zach and Brian Callahan this weekend. And Joe Burrow, you know, big you know big B M O C big man on Cincinnati. I got to see who, who fresh, fresh contract, highest paid player, as well, captain of the team. Joe, don't be afraid to say, Callahan, Zach. So let's let's slow up, okay? I do not have to throw the, throw this ball 30, 35 times from the shotgun for us to win. If that means we got to line up in a single back in the I form, and I got to give it off between uh, Joe Mixon and the rookie running and the rookie running back, we have you know sixty percent of our offensive snaps. If that's what it takes for us to win or wear down the Ravens defense, win a time possession to put them on the end zone. If that's what it takes, that's what it takes. Because we're in the business of winning football games and and just winning. Period. We're in the business of winning championships, and the way that you can win championships is getting to the playoffs. And the way that you get to the playoffs, and that's winning, and that's through winning football games. We're in the business of that, not for anybody's individual awards, for stats, for 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 for, for fantasy numbers. Not interested. We're in the business of winning games, and if that means that there's a game. Hypothetically, this Sunday where Joe Burrow doesn't have a big day and he doesn't show up for your fantasy team, but the Orioles, or the Orioles, the Bengals uh, drop 30 on the Ravens' heads, hypothetically speaking. If that's what it takes, then that's what it takes. And I need to see that if, if, if that's the opportunity. By the way, let me uh, do a little bit of the Bengals' work here and check the forecast for Cincinnati on Sunday afternoon. 30% chance of rain, 73 degrees. So hopefully the uh, the Bengals equipment staff and Zach and Joe are made aware of it. So in case, God forbid, they end up playing in another hurricane again, they'll be prepared and not, you know, wait, you know, till kingdom come for them to uh, see that it's raining and for them to conduct themselves accordingly like they did last week uh, in Cleveland. Ravens and Bengals game number one. By the way, Lamar Jackson... 
cannot expect to turn over the football and win. Uh, because especially now that J.K. Dobbins is out again, their running game this season without J.K. Dobbins, I'm intrigued to see what it will look like against Cincinnati, considering how well that Nick Chubb ran the ball against the Bengals defense last week. But through the passing game, man, if Lamar ain't on his P's and Q's, the Bengals' defense is going to make him pay. Uh, they did an excellent job. They sacked Sean Watson three times last week, uh, and they went out hunting defensively, forced uh, t- forced tur- two turnovers, a fumble, and an interception, tip-tip pass, and an interception uh, from Deshaun Watson last week in the second half. I so Lamar Jackson has got if the throw is not if the th- if the receiver isn't open and the play is not there to make the throw, don't don't risk it. Because this Bengals defense, especially knowing that this that the uh, that the offense is yet to figure themselves out, the Bengals defense is going to feel that, and they are going to make sure that they bring the energy, that they bring the heat, and that they do their part to make sure to make to make life easier for the Bengals offense that has yet to score a touchdown on a young season after one game. So my advice to Lamar Jackson is to take care of the football, running it high and tight. And uh, and in a passing game, if it's not there, throw it away. Tuck it and run it or throw it away. Because if you feed it into the teeth of the Bengals' defense, they will make you pay. And the offensive line, same thing. Ronnie Stanley, matter of fact, let me, as I drop my phone, uh, let me read you the uh, the injury report in terms of who practiced and who didn't for the Ravens coming up Sunday. The Ravens, they rule out Ronnie Stanley, Tyler Lindbaum, they got two offensive linemen out already this week. Marlon Humphrey, of course, with the foot. Marcus Williams out with the pectoral uh, tear. All Ronnie Stanley, Lindenbaum, Humphrey, Marcus Williams. That's two. That's two DBs and two offensive linemen. Bengals have an opportunity to go out there and hunt come Sunday afternoon. It's right there. It's, it's right in front of us, as Aaron Boom likes to say. Uh, and Mark Andrews, who has a quad injury, he practiced. He had a full practice uh, today, but he's questionable. Uh, I expect him to play. Why wouldn't he? And that's another thing, too, with the Bengals defense. Mark Andrews had a field day uh, in the two games uh, in Week 18 and then in the wild card game back in, uh, back in, uh, back in January. He had a field day. What are the Bengals going to do to stop uh, Mark Andrews and to make him test that uh, that quad? Be very intrigued to see that. Also, an interesting tidbit, this is the third time in what? This is the third time in eight months the Bengals and the Ravens have not only played each other this calendar year, but have played each other at Paul Brown, uh, at Paul Brown Stadium, which I found to be a very interesting, cool uh, tidbit as well. They've played each other three times just in the 2023 calendar year alone, and all three times have took place at the jungle. The Bengals 2-0, trying to make it three, coming up on Sunday. The Seattle Seahawks and the Detroit Lions. Uh, I was very, very, very disappointed in the Seattle Seahawks on Sunday. Uh, they have got the, you know, the performance from Geno Smith was absolutely abysmal. They cannot run the football worth the lick at all. Uh, I got DK Metcalf shoving uh, cornerbacks left and right instead of making plays. It's just, it's it's it's, it's a disgrace. So I gotta see the, the Seahawks bounce back. This is a game. 
that if you're Seattle, you got to be on your P's and Q's and step up and go back to your 2022 form and go into Detroit, who is who had a sensational, emotional win against the uh, defending champs at Arrowhead last week. You got to find a way. Find a way. And I, I, expect, this, I expect it to be a, a high-scoring affair on both accounts, but the Seahawks offense, man, they got to step up. I got a I, Kenneth Walker, I, who had a sensational rookie year, rookie year last year. I got to see him running the football and not seeing Pete Carroll and the uh, and the Seahawks offensive coaching brass being so trigger happy to put the ball in Geno Smith. All due respect to Geno Smith, and he had a tremendous season, a su- surprising bounce back season last year. But Geno Smith is not is he's not Russell Wilson. Okay, he's not Russell Wilson. He's not Jalen Hurts. He's not Mahomes. He's not. Burrow, he's not uh, Lamar Jackson, he's not Aaron Rodgers, he's not Josh Allen. All right, he's had a he's was very very good, performed well last season, but he's he's not he's not as great of a quarterback where you can you know take the ball out of his hands and expect them thirty. 35, 40 times a game, drop back the pass and expect him to carry and expect and to put the game and to put it put the production of your offense on his right arm and expect that, hey, Gino, throw for 325 and three touchdowns and drop 31. He's not that type of quarterback. Never has been and never will be. All due respect, Gino, that's just, he's not, that you've reached his ceiling with his game. That's that Never has been, never will be that quality level of a quarterback where he can score 31 points and throw for 300 plus yards in a sleep. It's just not his game. The, and when one of the brilliant parts of the Seahawks offense, what made it click last year, was that they were a well-oiled machine, balanced offense, were able to run the ball, and Jenner was able to pick his spots and tear up defenses with his arm. That was your recipe and your game plan for success last season. Why Seattle got away from that in their game last week against uh, Los Angeles, I'll never understand. They got to go back to that to beat the to beat the Lions coming up on Sunday afternoon. Run the football and pound the rock with Kenneth Walker III. And Geno's got to do a better job, you know, making plays more accurate, very inaccurate last Sunday afternoon uh, against the Rams. More accurate throws and uh, and the offensive line got to do a a better job. You go from Aaron Donald to Aiden Hutchinson. They got their work cut out for him. Seattle does on Sunday. Meanwhile, Detroit, uh, listen, a, a sensational win against the uh, against the Chiefs last week uh, from Detroit. I gotta see I gotta see Aiden Hutch, Hutch although he did not uh, stack up a sack against Mahomes last Thursday night. Let me see him get the Geno twice. Let me let me see him put up a sack and a half, two three sack performance, uh, and get the Geno and rattle him a little bit. Get him the rushes throws. Uh, get the timing off between him and his wide receivers. Let me see. Let, let me see Aiden Hutchinson uh, take over this game because I think if he can, it's going to be a long night or long afternoon for Seattle. Let me see Aiden Hutchinson really have that that Nick that T.J. Watt, Nick Bosa, Aaron Donald esque performance. Looking looking ahead and looking forward to seeing that and wanting to see if he can accomplish that against Seattle coming up on uh, Sunday. And as for Jared Goff and the Vike in the uh, Lions offense. Got to be able to pound the rock. Got to be able to pound the rock, run the ball a hell of a lot better than you did uh, last uh, 
than you did last week against Kansas City, especially throughout the meat and potatoes duration of the game. Let me see you run the ball down the Seattle uh, Seahawks' uh, throat and see if you can get them, you know, stack the box with a, uh, you know, with uh, with uh, some opportunities to throw the ball deep, uh, and ex- and ex- and uh, and Jared Goff to show off his arm in the deep passing game and get Seattle's defense on their toes. Uh, I expect this to be a high scoring uh, affair between both teams. Uh, the Lions, uh, the Lions defense certainly. Uh, now they were aided because of the fact that the Chiefs wide receivers, as we discussed, couldn't catch coronavirus again. If you if they licked the bottom of a toilet seat, Kadarius Tony, primarily I'm talking to you and about you. But uh, they made plays, got off the field on many of third downs that they had to have, and of course had the uh, pick six and stole a possession on a 14 point swing. Of course, uh, le- uh, last Thursday night, but um, I. Let me. I, this game for me says more about the tells is going to tell me more about the Seahawks than it will the Detroit Lions. It's going to be a different environment. Rosh's crowd. They're going to the Ford Field is going to be rocking Sunday afternoon. If Seattle wants to prove that they can be a contender and contend with San Francisco in the NFC West and and they can hold their seat at the uh, at the NFC playoff table. They gotta find a way to beat to beat Detroit on the road this Sunday. Case closed. And as for the aforementioned Kansas City Chiefs, they got Kelsey back and and uh, excuse me, Chris Jones signed. Uh, so I think Kansas City. Uh, I I expect a bounce back game. I understand it's going to be on the road and hot, sweaty, muggy uh, Jacksonville, but I expect Kansas City to get off the deck and to have a sensational bounce back game on both sides of the football. I was not entirely impressed with how Jacksonville played against uh, Indianapolis on uh, Sunday, last Sunday in uh, at uh, Lucas Oil Stadium. Uh, they kept Anthony Richardson in the close of that game for a lot longer uh, than I anticipated and a lot longer than I and possibly any Jaguar fan you asked would have liked. This is a good opportunity for the Chiefs to say, hey, we're still Kansas City. We're still the Chiefs. Still got to fear us. I expect Kansas City to uh to make life difficult for the uh, third year quarterback in Trevor Lawrence. I'm I'm expecting that, and I'm expecting Kansas City to walk into a Jacksonville and win this game. Now, if Jacksonville uh, wins this game, would I be shocked? No, because Jacksonville's a damn good football team who you know is just aching to beat Kansas City, having lost to him at Arrowhead twice last season and came within a couple of turnovers from beating Kansas City in a divisional playoff game back in January. So if Jacksonville gets the better of Kansas City round three this time and hot, uh, sticky Jacksonville, would it surprise me? No, but I think Kansas City, the vibes heading into this game for Kansas City in my opinion, are better than they are for Jacksonville, considering who Kansas City is, who they were missing last week, and just the fact that listen, it was one of those those bad losses that you you know that Kansas City essentially just had to get out of the system, and one of those just those bad losses where nothing for them went right in the sixty minute course of a game, and it so happened to be the opening kickoff game of the season in week one instead of, you know, a game middle of the season in, uh, you know, in late, in late October, early November. So I anticipate the Chiefs and their offense, albeit, you know, 
and Jacksonville, you know, defensively, will they test how much will they put the pressure on Kelsey to uh, to test his knee? Uh, I'm intrigued by that. Will they intentionally leave Kelsey open to have him because, you know, he's the type of tight end where, you know, if he runs the original route and Mahomes still has the ball in his hands, he's going to improvise. He's going to run run left, run right, up, down, zigzag, side to side, sideline to sideline. He's going to do whatever he can to make sure that he's open for and to give Mahomes an opportunity to give him the ball. Be intrigued to see if Jacksonville will disguise it to where they'll leave him open on purpose to get him to test out that knee. Or will they intention or will they make sure Kelsey has no has no air to breathe and they'll dare Mahomes to let his his bum wide receivers from last week will will they dare the you know Kadarius Tony for perfect example to beat him? Interesting, interesting heading into that game. Jets and Cowboys. Uh listen, Zach Wilson is gonna be the QB one for the Jets. Uh, Robert Sala said it, and it's pretty much a well-known fact that, you know, they're obviously going to have to bring somebody in to be his backup to provide some sort of a, uh, active, uh, quarterback veteran experience within the locker room. Uh, listen, with Zach Wilson, it's all about, you know, what have you learned in the, throughout the entire offseason and has any of any, uh, part of Aaron Rodgers' game rubbed off on you? And if it has, go out there and prove it to me against a damn good Dallas Cowboy defense that put up a goose egg against the Giants last week. Let me, let's see uh, Zach Jones not lose the game and blow the game against, uh, against Micah Parsons, D-Law, and the uh, Cowboys pass rush. Let's see him stand in there, take his lumps, take care of the football, and keep the Jets in, a ga- in the game where, you know, if the you know, 16-10... Uh, mid late fourth quarter and the Jets come away with the tick take away because Dak Prescott can't stop throwing to the wrong damn team. Let, let me let me see that situation play itself out on Sunday. Let me see it. I think it's going to be closer than a lot of people think. I think it's going to be a defensive slugfest. Both pass both front fours of both of these teams are just comp- are are. are game wrecking in terms of the level of impact that they can that they have and the ability that they that both respective uh defensive fronts have and the ability to take over a, a football game uh so i think it's going to be a long day for zach wilson and dak prescott but i think the but the jets defense is 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 slightly better and more well-rounded than a dallas cowboys defense is i think that'll be the difference maker in the game and albeit Zach Wilson is offensive, you can't trust Dak Prescott. You just, I don't care. You just can't trust him. And, you know, and the and even with Zach Wilson under center, the Jets have, have more playmakers on offensive side of the football than the New York football Giants could ever dream of have. Whether it's the two-headed monster of Cook and Brees Hall in the backfield or throwing to Garrett Wilson out wide, wide receiver or Alan Lazard and uh, – Ran Randall and uh, albeit past his prime, Randall Cobb, you certainly would take him over, you know, uh, uh, Darius Slayton uh, and uh, the likes of um, Darren Waller. So, but so I, I think because of the fact that I'll, that you would arguably you would take not even arguably you would take Dak Prescott over 
uh, over uh, Zach Wilson. The Jets have a better defense and have more playmakers on offense that's there to make life easier for Zach Wilson than the Cowboys do to make life easier for uh, Dak Prescott. Uh, Aaron Rodgers, he will be back. Uh, he said it himself, and even before he said something earlier this week, he's too prideful, and rightfully so. I mean, would you want to have your Hall of Fame career end four plays, 75 seconds in? Would you want to have it end with a tw- with a torn Achilles, really, to no fault of your own? I wouldn't. Uh, so uh, he's going he's gonna to be back. Uh, and I and I do not blame and you know, and I don't blame him for coming back whatsoever. Uh, the, he and all the goodwill and all of the ways that he has, uh, and uh, incorporated himself of be, uh, being a part of the New York scene and the New York sports scene and the Jet scene. He's not going to walk away after that. He's just he's not he's not going to. He owes it to his teammates. He feels like he owes it to the Jets fan base, to his coaches. So he, so Aaron, so Aaron Rodgers will be back. Um, although the idea of him, you know, saying among other things that you know that he'll be back before season's end, you know, Aaron might be high on either his ayahuasca uh, stash uh, that he, you know, that he's nursing right now, or high on painkillers. What whatever whatever he's high on, it sounded like a comment of someone who is high, because there's no way and as great of a shape that he's in, and as great of a surgeon you know that uh, you know that performed his surgery, Aaron Rodgers at 40 years of age is not gonna is when he had the surgery in early mid September, he's not gonna be back in an opportunity you know where he's where he's going to throw himself in the deep end of a pool in a high intensity, high octane late season game, uh, you know, in, in, in late December or a playoff game, no less where it's do or die in January. Now listen, it's the same Aaron Rodgers that, you know, carried the Packers to a, uh, to the AFC championship game on one leg. Remember that in the 20, I believe it was the 24, 14 playoffs, I believe. Yeah, it was yeah, cuz it was the same cuz he had a great game uh at home against Dallas in the uh in the Des Bryant no catch game. So not to say that Aaron Rodgers hasn't, you know, when he when his help when his legs have been compromised that he has been able to will uh will his teams to victory in the playoffs cuz he certainly has done it before. But having a calf strain, you know, and this is what nine years ago so having a calf strain at 29 30 years old is different than coming off of an Achilles surgery at 40 little it's a it's a it's a different animal different but different ball game different ballpark so not and not saying Aaron Rodgers can't do it but at some point Aaron Rodgers has to be reasonable about the situation saying listen as much as it sucks if god forbid you re-injure it again you know trying to rush back in a playoff game in january trying to play superman and you re-injure it again then you're really screwed and really you are going to have no choice but to retire so somebody within our eyes circle is going to have to say aaron we appreciate your desire your heart your, your 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 passion your love for the game and your teammates and your boys but if you want to make this recovery and want to be a productive member of the New York Jets for 2024 and and 2025, 
you you do yourself a favor and just sit up. It's going to kill you. It's going to pain. Sunday afternoon, it is going to eat him up to no end. I know it will. But you gotta you gotta think long term instead of short term. This out outside of him, this is a this is a fairly young is one of the older rosters in the NFL, but it got a lot of young talent. Okay, I, I, Randall Cobb, Alan Lazard aside, Dalvin Cook aside, they got yeah, Hall is young, Garrett Wilson's young, Sauce is young, uh, the corner whose name slips me to who had the three picks the other night. He's young, young team. Quinn and Williams, who just got paid, young team. It's not, you know, this isn't, you know, he isn't on the 2020, 2021, 2022 Tampa Bay Buccaneers who are older, who, you know, are reaching at the final opportunity to win a championship before they succumb to, before the team gets a subject or has to be subject to free agency. And you can't bring guys back because either they want new, they want a payday or they have nothing left in the tank and their career performance. It's all downhill. The the jets and I are thankfully for them are not in this, are not in that predicament. See the forest through the trees, Aaron and sit out. Now, in terms of what the Jets' ceiling is going to be, uh, your season's over in the terms of the aspect of when you pounded your chest all spring and summer long of we're now a Super Bowl contender, where we should be among the teams to consider Super Bowl contenders in the AFC with the cream of the crop of the AFC and all of football. That aspect of your season is over. But making a playoff and winning your division, not over, not in the slightest. If they can, if if they find a way to win games the way that they did Monday night with Zach Wilson limiting his mistakes, playing smart football, defense goes out there and hunts, keeps them in the game, forces a turnover or three or four, throw in some high end, some high end talent play from the likes of Brees Hall and Garrett Wilson, the Jets are going to be fine. Winning a division may be a difficult challenge, but but the Jets are going to be fine. And if some things break their way, they should be able to make the playoffs with a I don't think ten and seven, as we discussed in the preview in the season preview show, is not going to be good enough to make the playoffs, in my opinion. But the Jets can if they can find a way to go eleven and six, twelve and five, they can find a way to be playing in January after January what? January the uh, the I'm fumbling through my calendar. Past January the ninth, I believe, is when the regular season. Let me matter of fact, I'm looking at my calendar on my desk. I got a calendar right here on my phone. They can find themselves playing past January seventh. Uh, it's going to take great de- – the defense can't have that's, – and that's the one negative thing is that the defense, unless Zach Wilson has a all-time career game, the defense has no margin for error. They have – the rest of the season, they got to be – they got to channel their inner 2000 Ravens, 2013 Seahawks. Because unless Zach Wilson has a career game, you know, he, ha- he has a Mike White game of his own self – they, 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 the defense has to put together no worse than a B minus B performance every single game. 
Because if they don't and Zach Wilson looks like crap, that one game could be the difference between them missing the playoffs and making it. So we shall see. Browns and Steelers, that's a game that Pittsburgh has to have as well. This is a game if you're Cleveland that you got to say, look, where, you, listen, we're not just a good team, a playoff team, a contending team against Cincinnati Bengals. We're damn good against the Ravens, the Steelers, uh, and any other team you, you throw in our path. If you're a Browns, if you're the Cleveland Browns, and you want to be taken seriously as a team that got no respect and was underrated throughout the entire offseason, go out there into Pittsburgh Monday Night Football and beat the piss out of them too. I mean, if it's Pittsburgh, who I heard a lot of people in the media Pounding the Steelers drum. Look out for the Steelers. They're underrated. They can win the AFC North. This, that, and the third. Uh, Find a way to beat Cleveland. Because if you start the season 0-2, you're not winning the division. You're not not winning the division because you're not going to be better than Cleveland because you're going to have one leg down on them. You're not going to be better than Baltimore. The AFC, the North... And let the North, let alone the rest of the AFC field, is too congested, it's too crowded, it's too competitive for the Steelers to, you know, start the season two and six and then find a way to run the table with a nine and eight, ten and seven record and expect to make the dance at seasons end. Not not in this congested AFC. No sorry, Bob. Nuh-uh. Maybe in Madden, but not in real life 2023 NFL football. So both of these two teams need a win to 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 get off the deck and for pride purposes and to say, hey, we're here to stay. Pittsburgh, you want to make the jabronis that said you were going to win the division? You, you, you want to make sure they don't look like fools? Beat Cleveland at home in prime time. Browns, you want to prove that you can be a team that can be taken seriously as a contender to make the playoffs and possibly win the AFC North? Go two and zero and already have and be up and already be up two games in the AFC North. Because knowing Cleveland, you know they'll have, they'll yeah we beat the Bengals, beat the Bengals, beat the Bengals, and then Kenny Pickett will throw for three eighteen three touchdown passes and they'll lo- and they'll somehow find a way to lose the game thirty one twenty one and it'd be up same old Browns conversation again. So if you want to be taken seriously, find a way. Both of these teams find a way to win. Your marquee games, week two preview in the National Football League. Uh, one quick thing uh, before we get to the uh, week two picks and we close out this program. A uh, little controversy in terms of the uh, in terms of uh, Deion Sanders and the Colorado State coach saying, "Well, I address when I address grownups, I'll uh, I'll take off my uh, hat and my sunglasses." What is what I was taught uh, as a kid. I'm paraphrasing the Colorado State head football coach essentially and see when Deion Sanders doesn't carry and doesn't act like a grump, doesn't act like an adult. So Deion, of course, what he does best, he takes it, he runs with it. Uh, he gives his entire team uh, sunglasses. He goes to first take. He's giving out sunglasses to because uh, they had ESPN. They had first take and they had a Pat McAfee who now uh, by proxy is also an ESPN employee. Now they, you know, he's giving out sunglasses to everybody on the set because they're going to have college game day at a Boulder, Colorado, uh, Boulder, Colorado tomorrow. And everyone's all wearing those sunglasses, essentially, you know, Dion and Dion, he, he won all the shows. He went and did Rich Eisen, of course, his ex, uh, confidant, uh, at a uh, NFL network. Um, so 
And there's a theme that you've seen with a lot of the coaches. I don't know whether, and I, it comes out of jealousy, essentially is what it comes down to, is that the college coaches are mad and are jealous that Dion in his first year uh, at Colorado, University of Colorado, the Buffaloes have generated so much buzz and so much publicity and are as good as uh, advertised heading into this college football season. It's that, that's what it stands. It stems from jealousy. It stems from uh, insecurity. That Dion, who is a man that, like I said, ha- and everything that he's touched in his life, uh, especially pertaining to sports, everything he's touched is turned into a million dollars. Uh, whether it's his, his career as a professional athlete, he was a very he was a solid uh, baseball player and a solid two way uh, two or excuse me two sport athlete playing baseball and football at the same time. He of course Hall of Fame cornerback uh, and uh, and a return specialist in the NFL. Of course, with the Dolph, with the uh, with the Falcons, the 49ers, the Cowboys, and to a lesser extent, the Baltimore Ravens as well. Uh, he goes and becomes a sensational broadcaster, entertaining one during the uh, beginning plight and early popular. He helped to build the NFL network to what it is, uh, the what it is right now. Uh, he, he leaves, goes to Barstool, found his niche there with Barstool, went and got into coaching. He went from, you know, had a couple, a, a few uh, bumps and bruises at the high school level coaching. Then he stepped himself up to the college game at Jackson State, became a tremendous success and brought all the attention and uh, eyeballs to Jackson State, left Jackson State, and then went over to Colorado and has a 2 0 record. Uh, you know, people are tuning in to watch and watching the games as the uh, game of the week, big news Saturday games on Fox College Game Day is going to Boulder, Colorado for the games as well. He's on first take. He's on. He, he's on uh, Pat McAfee's show. I mean, just uh, he's. I believe he also is a one of the featured stories. Him and his Colorado team. One of his featured stories on. Uh, I believe that is it is this week. Him and his Colorado team is a featured story on the season premiere of uh, 60 Minutes coming on uh, this uh, Sunday night. So it's been Dion, 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 Dion. And I give him a ton of credit. Uh, for what uh, for what he's done and just how successful he like he is like one of those you know like you hear all the time you know that guy is a win- you know that guy's a winner that guy's a loser Deion Sanders is a winner like everywhere he goes especially in the in the aspect and in the sports arena everywhere he goes he wins he's he's successful he brings attention he brings conversation he makes he he makes the people he works for money and attention he brings himself money and attention i mean it's just you you, you cannot i don't understand how, how you can dislike the guy because even when even was he in his mid late 50s even in his 50s and he's been retired and in the hall of fame and removed from the nfl for decades now and still he finds a way to be successful and to win with the sport that's done more for him in his life than you know than 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 than, than you can shake a stick at and that's the game of football and still in 2023 Deion Sanders is still among among the kings of the sport of football i mean if you want to talk you know kings of the sport of football you go Patrick Mahomes you go uh, you have, you know, you can go uh, Justin Jefferson. You can go Jamar Chase. You can go Joe Burrow. You can go Aaron Rodgers. You can go 
uh, Lamar Jackson. You can go Jalen Hurts. You can go A.J. Brown. Uh, you can uh, Justin Herbert. You can go Tyreek Hill. And, and even in a college game, you can name Marvin Harrison Jr. You could, you could a whole list of players, Caleb Williams, a whole list of players, college and pro, that you can, you know, say are the kings, are the ambassadors of the game of football, both college and pro. And right along all of those lists of 20-something-year-olds, 20, of, of 20 here it is, Deion Sanders in his 50s, Nick, Nick even if you want to go college coaches, Kirby Smart, Saban, right there with them. 50-something-year-old Hall of Fame extraordinaire Deion Sanders. And you hear all the critique. You heard it from he was catching shade uh, from, from uh, fellow coaches among the HBCU college football game, college football realm. And then he goes to the... He goes to the D1A FCS level, and and it's the and it's the and it's the same thing, and it stems from jealousy. They wish that they had the level of cachet, of notoriety, of popularity from you know that Dion has from what he from what he accomplished, not not as a not as a football coach, but what he accomplished as a football player, and then the celebrity on top of what he had as a football player, and then the celebrity that came with them when he was one of the more entertaining, uh, entertaining people on sports television in his heydays on the NFL on the NFL Network. And then you factor that in, and then he goes in and he steps his foot into the coaching coaching realm, and so far so good, he's succeeded at that. And coaches, college coaches, who would give a who would give a limb to have a third of what Dion's program at Colorado is experiencing right now, they'd get they'd give a limb to experience a third of that, and they're jealous. So they go out there in front, you know, when you know, in press conferences before games, and they go out there and they show their ass in front of the media, and they kind of say and give these statements that you know, we're, I'm not scared of Deion Sanders. He's a peon. Who is he? And it comes out of a place of of jealousy and insecurity. So, you know, and and I guarantee you that Dion will make it his business that his team drops drops thirty five plus. On on the uh, on the Colorado State Rams's head, so uh, all power to him, man. All power. Now, now there is a now it is a if I were to be uh, uh, Mister Contran, there is a double. This it, it can be a double edged sword, and a uh, and there and and it can and there's it can be a multifaceted uh, outcomes. To Dion getting all this press, because you would figure. And this is how I would think if I was on a team, if if I was if I was a coaching a team that played Dion's team later in the year. Here's how I would look at it. I'd be like, okay, all right. I take no. I would take note of it. I would take. I wouldn't say anything. Wouldn't give him any bulletin boarded material. Wouldn't disrespect him, nothing. I tell him keep your mouth shut. Nothing. But if I was coaching a team 
any of the teams that Dion has from after this weekend, this Saturday onward to the rest of the season, I'd be like, I would make a mental note. I would take Dion being as as uh, as uh, promoted by the media and by everyone, college football, in football, and in sports and pop culture alike. I would take that as a personal chance, be like, okay, give him all this popularity. We're going to steal some. And where we're going to steal it is where is we're going to go either if we host them or if it's a road game, we're going to go into their building. We're going to beat them. And, we're, and we are going to steal some headlines. We wouldn't say it to them. We wouldn't say it to them. We, we, wouldn't pub, we, wouldn't even, we would have that mindset between the ears, in our heart and in between the ears, and behind closed doors in the meeting rooms. We wouldn't say it to them. We wouldn't be tweeting it out or posting it on social media. We wouldn't say anything. We wouldn't be saying anything to the press. We wouldn't be saying it, you know, on a, you know, in, in public settings among campus for, for people to record it and hear it and, and post it. No, 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 no. We would have that mindset within us and say it quietly amongst ourselves, where it's just us between the, in the four walls, nobody can. That would be my mindset. They're putting a target on their backs. We'll show you. That would be my mindset. That, that, my friends, is the right way to handle the sudden burst of a college football hotbed and, 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 the, and, the, uh, and the biggest thing, you know, the, the, the early stages of a potential college football empire. That's how I would handle it. Not by, you know, being the, the petty, jealous one talking smack to the media, giving them, no, 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 that's not, no, 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 no. That's not how you handle it. Keep your mouth shut, stay low, be humble, don't disrespect them, but just make a mental note. Put a target on their back. Everyone's talking, oh, Deion Sanders, first take, ESPN. Okay, all right, you want, okay. You want, they want, they want, you know, McAfee, College Game Day for Stephen A. Shannon Show. Okay, all right, fine. We'll, we'll we'll make them talk about us. We'll make them come to. Uh, we'll make ESPN come to our campus. You know, how you do it, go out there on the field, your mouth shut, respect your opponent, and you go out there and you kick their ass. That is, that, my friends, is how you. Handle this. If you are an opponent of a, of, of, a, of a team that plays the Buffaloes on your schedule the remainder of this season, that, my friends, coaching, psychological, uh, psychology, sports psychology, one-on-one, that's how you handle it. Not Fox with the sour grapes with the media. Oh, I don't respect them. I take my – no, no. Because when you say that and you do things like that, that's just you're just giving them an invitation for 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 them for them to humiliate you. That's all you're doing. You walk softly and quietly, and you carry a big stick. If you if you really want want to, if you really detest the Buffaloes and detest Dion and want to beat him, want to humiliate him that much, that is what you do. That's how you handle it. And you can make the argument that all this publicity, they are putting a tar- they are double-edged sword. They're building their brand and bringing more exposure, more this, that, and the third. And they're also 
putting a target on their back. Because, you know, every single player, every single coach is going to be scathing and is going to be enraged with annoyance that they're getting all this attention and they're going to be like, it's, it's enough of the Deion Sanders, Colorado Buffalo's hype train. You know, you know that some, and logically so, somebody is sitting there just, oh, it, 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 it's annoying them to no end. But the way you go about it is quietly, not obnoxiously. It is about that time. Week two picks in the National Football League. Uh, I got a, I got quite a few of them uh, as I spoil with the music. Um, as a, no wait, I don't think you guys heard that. So what am I talking about? I'm trying to get the uh, trying to get the uh, picks music ready. But uh, I got a lot of. Uh, you know, I was wrong on the uh, New England. Uh, Patriots game uh, in terms of that being a blowout is dead wrong on that one. The the uh, Chargers Dolphins game I saw from a mile away, um, and I knew that San that San Francisco was going to kick the piss out of Pittsburgh. That did not surprise me whatsoever. Um, I got Seattle. I read Seattle and the uh, Rams game wrong. The Bengals game obviously I read wrong, uh, and I you know had Josh Allen been able to take care of the football. Uh, I would have gotten the uh, Bills-Jets game uh, right uh, as well. But it is week two in the National Football League. Week two picks time in the league where they play for pay. We get started with the Bengals and the Ravens, a rematch of last season's AFC wildcard game. Crazy one it was. There will be no Tyler Huntley. Uh, if you're a Ravens fan, you're thanking the heavens that there's no Tyler Huntley in this game. But a uh, rematch between these two AFC North Division rivals, rivalry renewed. Third time, like I mentioned earlier in the program, third time uh, this calendar year in 2023 that these two teams will uh, go head-to-head. Uh, it will go head-to-head at Paul Brown Stadium. Uh, the bang- And do you guys know, and I screamed and yelled about this, well, not about this, but I mentioned this when I screamed and yelled about the schedule back, uh, what, three weeks ago or thereabouts? Did you guys know that this is the first time that Joe Burrow and Lamar Jackson have gone, quote-unquote, head-to-head, the two starting quarters? But this is the first time that they've gone head-to-head in Paul Brown Stadium. All the previous matchups between Lamar Jackson and Joe Burrow both being healthy, starting QB1s for their respective teams, all of the matchups have been at m Bank Stadium. Burrow's rookie year where Patrick Queen is caught. Teammate made life living hell 2020, October. That was in Baltimore. Next time they played, late in December, uh, Burrow was gone for the season with the uh, with the torn ACL. 2021, they faced off, of course, in that in the uh, Jamar Chase game in early October. That game was here. That game was here in Baltimore at the bank. 2021. 
Lamar Jackson Lamar Jackson was injured. Ravens won the third string quarterback on when they played that game the day after Christmas, where uh, Joe Burrow uh, broke the Bengals franchise record for most passing yards in a single game. Uh, 2022 last season game number one here in Baltimore the Sunday night uh, defensive slugfest where Justin Tucker kicked the game winning field goal at the buzzer uh, and then uh, and then in, in the uh, game in week 18 Lamar Jackson injured gone for the season didn't play third string quarterback started for the Ravens and then uh, the uh, and then the uh, week after in the playoff game you had Tyler Huntley and Lamar Jackson didn't even make the trip so for the first time since both have been in the league, which is back to three years now, four seasons in 2020, the first time you will have Bengals and Ravens in the jungle and Lamar Jackson and Joe Burrow will both be healthy and under center for their respective teams. I found that to be an interesting piece of information. Bengals are three-point favorites coming off of licking their wounds of losing at the Cleveland Browns last week in a monsoon. Ravens are 1-0 coming off of their uh, win while they got bit by the injury bug of plenty. Uh, against the Houston Texans at home last week. Uh, Mark Andrews is questionable. Uh, Humphrey, Ronnie Stanley, and Linda Baum are out like I previously mentioned. Chris Evans, Joseph Osai, and Marcus Bailey, the, the three players on the Bengals injury report, are all questionable. Bengals three-point favorites. Give me the uh, Ravens to win this game by the final score of 24-21 as we shall continue. And uh, with the uh, Vegas Raiders going ahead and playing the Buffalo Bills, the Raiders coming off of an impressive uh, impressive one-possession victory over the uh, Denver Broncos, who they always kill, and they put another feather in their cap, beating the Broncos uh, last Sunday afternoon at the Mile High. Defense did a sensational job. Meanwhile, Buffalo, of course, coming off of that uh, pathetic, embarrassing offensive performance against the Jets on Monday night. Bill's home opener for them. Uh, no players on the injury list for Buffalo. Uh, Chandler Jones and Jacoby Myers are both out. Myers had a concussion uh, with in the uh, during the sequence of the game. It can, in, uh, during the sequence of the game last week uh, in Denver, he is out with a concussion. Uh, the Buffalo Bills are eight-point favorites, giving the Buffalo Bills the bounce back and win their first game of the season by the final score of 28. The Kansas City Chiefs go to Jacksonville to Duval uh, to take on the Jacksonville Jaguars. Jaguars 1-0 coming off of their first victory of the season last week on the road against division rival Indianapolis. Meanwhile, uh, Kansas City, they get Travis Kelsey back. Chris Jones is signed. He is back. Uh, Clyde Edwards-Lair listed on injury report is questionable. Uh, Brandon Sharif, their guard, and Luke Fortner, their center. Jacksonville's, that is, are both questionable. Uh, are both questionable. Antonio Johnson, Gregory Jr., the two members of the secondary, are out. Jacks, or excuse me, Kansas City's favorite in this game, minus three and a half. Give me the Kansas City Chiefs to win this, to win a tight one by the final score. Uh, well, no way, huh? Uh, yeah, I'll stick with the tight one. Highly, they both played tight games last week. I'll say that it's tight here. Give me the Chiefs to win this game, but a final score of 27 to uh, 23. The Chargers go to Tennessee to take on the Tennessee Titans. Both are 0-1. Chargers coming off of their uh, heart-gut-wrenching loss 
at home against the Miami Dolphins last week where Tua and Tyree Kill went nuts. They're two-and-a-half-point favorites as they play host to the Tennessee Titans, who are 0-1, losing their first game of the season on the road against the uh, New Orleans Saints. Meanwhile, the uh, and the Chargers are two-and-a-half-point favorites. You take a look at the uh, injury report for both of these teams. Uh, Joey Bosa is on the injury report listed as questionable. Uh, Austin Eckler, Eric Kendricks, Deion Henley, Chris Chris Rumpf II, all doubtful for Sunday's game. Amani Hooker, Christian Fulton are both out for Tennessee. DeAndre Hopkins and Peter Skaronsky are listed on the Titans injury report as questionable. Give me the L.A. Chargers who are two-and-a-half-point favorites to bounce back and win this game by the final score of 35-17. The Green Bay Packers and Jordan Love. Jordan Love taking care of business and getting it done in Chicago against the uh, division rival Chicago Bears last week. Meanwhile, Atlanta, they got themselves off on the right foot in terms of their season, starting the season 1-0 with a victory last time out against division rival Carolina. The uh, Falcons are donning the throwback uniforms this week, which should be their their permanent uniforms because their new uniforms that they have are a joke. Uh, but the Falcons are one-and-a-half-point favorites. Give me the Green Bay Packers to get out on a 2-0 start. Give me the Packers to win this game by the final score of 21-13. The Seattle Seahawks go on the road to take on the Detroit Lions. Lions, four-and-a-half-point favorites. Uh, taking on the Seahawks. Seahawks, of course, last time out, aforementioned, could not get it done against division rival, uh, could not get it done against division rival uh, Los Angeles. The Seahawks have Boye Mafe and Devin Bush, the two linebackers, questionable. Uh, Charles Cross and Mike Morris are both out uh, for CS, or excuse me, for Seattle. Taylor Decker, their offensive tackle, he is doubtful as well. Uh, for the uh, Detroit Lions. The Lions four and a half point favorites. Give me the Lions to uh, start the season 2-0. and When was the last time we said that about Detroit? Give me the Lions to start the season 2-0 and with a 31-21 victory. The Indianapolis Colts take on the Houston Texans, both winless last time out for both teams. Houston losing to Baltimore and Baltimore last week. Indianapolis could not get the job done. What's com- more competitive than I anticipated but cannot get the job done against the uh, aforementioned Jacksonville Jaguars. Houston's a one-point favorite. Give me the uh, Houston Texans to win their first game under D'Amico Ryans with the final score being 22-17. The Chicago Bears go to Tampa Bay uh, to take on Baker Mayfield and Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Buccaneers got the job done. Baker Mayfield is first start as Tampa Bay's QB1 post-TB12. Tampa Bay's two-and-a-half-point favorites. Meanwhile, Chicago uh, trying to get something going. Can Justin Fields prove to us that he is the quarterback of the future or is he a running back playing the quarterback position? Uh, Josh Blackwell, doubtful uh, for Chicago in the injury report. Carlton Davis, uh, can't see their defensive tackle. Uh, are, and uh, uh, Sir Von, Von C.A. Dennis, their uh, linebacker, all three of those guys are out for Tampa Bay. Uh, Christian Eisen, their safety, is listed as questionable. Tampa's home opener. I expect Tampa to get off on a 2-0 start. How shocking would that be? 
two and two point five, uh, two and a half. Excuse me. Uh, they are favored in this game. Give me the Tampa Bay Buccaneers to get the job done and win this game by the final score of twenty-four to ten. And the New York Football Giants better win this game if they want to prove to us that they are going to be on the up and up and there isn't anything to worry about in terms of Daniel Jones and Brian Dable as a head coach quarterback combination. The Giants, 40 to nothing, embarrassing loss at home to the Dallas Cowboys on Sunday night. Arizona gave the commanders a good fight. Like Brent, like Brendan told us, he did not, he was nervous that the, uh, that the commanders were such heavy favorites against Arizona and Arizona put up a fight and nearly won that game uh, until Washington uh, took the game by the horns and walked away with the victory. Arizona and the Giants are both 0-1. Giants four and a half point favorites. Give it a Giants to get off the deck and win this game by the final score of 24-2-3. And the uh, San Francisco 49ers coming off of their week one victory at Pittsburgh. Uh, coming off of their week one victory at Pittsburgh. Uh, die, an absolute dominant defensive performance on the part of San Francisco. Nick Bosa back from his holdout. Did not skip a beat. Brock Purdy is the real deal. As they go to L.A. to SoFi where, where, where the place will be packed to the gills with, uh, with 49er fans. Sorry, Mike Neosi, you have no fan base. You are the one Ram fan out there in Southern California. Meanwhile, the Rams... Coming off of an impressive victory against the division rival Seattle Seahawks on the road. Both teams 1 0. San Francisco favored by a touchdown. Uh, the injury report for San Francisco Samuel Womack, their corner, he is out for this game. Uh, Puka Nakua, he is questionable. The big time young wide receiver for uh, the Rams that had the big game against Seattle last week, he is listed as questionable for the Rams. San Francisco is a seven point favorite. Give me the San Francisco 49ers to win this game by the final score of 31 to 13. And the New York Jets will take on the Dallas Cowboys at the, for the 425 game of the week on CBS. Uh, the New York Jets had that emotional, thrilling victory in overtime over the Bills earlier this week on Monday night. Dallas uh, are feeling pretty good about themselves, beating the piss out of the Giants 4 to nothing on Sunday night at MetLife. Uh, Dallas is eight and a half point favorites. Uh, the cat, the Jets, of course, are going to be without Aaron Rodgers, who is gone for the season. Uh, Brees Hall, Zerline, Dwayne Brown, their offensive tackle, who gave up uh, the sack uh, with, that uh, ended Aaron Rodgers' season, and Makai Becton, they are all listed on the injury report as questionable. Brandon Cooks and uh, Zach Martin, the guard, listed as questionable for the Dallas Cowboys. Tyler Smith, their offensive tackle, and, and Donovan Wilson are both listed as doubtful on injury report for the Dallas uh, for the Dallas Cowboys. The Commanders are uh, facing the Denver. Or see, I didn't give a pick yet. I'm getting ahead of myself. Give me the New York Jets to win a game in a defensive slugfest. Final score: 16-13. Washington Commanders coming off of their week one victory in a new era under new ownership uh, as they fly west to take on the Denver Broncos who still, uh, once again, cannot score more than 16 points in a football game. 0-1 Denver's three and a half point favorites. Uh, they have Frank Clark and Greg Deluch 
uh, both out, which is a big blow for the Denver Broncos. Javaris Martin, the safety for the Commanders, is out in this game. Give me the uh, Denver Broncos to improve the one to improve the one and one and win this game by the final score of 24 to 17. The Miami Dolphins and the New England Patriots on Sunday Night Football, a subpar, mid-average at best Sunday Night Football matchup between uh, these two. Uh, again, we have to rely on the coach to go to the prime time. You got problems. Uh, but the Dolphins coming off of a high-flying, emotionally draining victory at SoFi against the Chargers last week. 1-0 Patriots came within a toe-tap of potentially having a chance to beat the Eagles at home last week. Dolphins three-point favorites. Give me the Miami Dolphins to win this game by the final score of 35-21. The Carolina Panthers and the uh, New Orleans Saints, which is a horrendous, horrendous Monday Night Football game. I don't care if it's Week 2, Week 12, or or, uh, Week 18. That is a horrendous, horrendous, horrendous uh, Monday Night Football game, especially to begin the season where there's no remote stopper on the I mean, Derek Carr and Bryce Young, really? This is what you want to give to us? But the uh, Saints are three-point favorites, 1-0, having beaten the uh, Tennessee Titans at home last week. Carolina licking their wounds from their division uh, loss against the Falcons last Sunday afternoon. The injury report for that game, if you must know, is as follows. You have uh, JT Gray, their their, uh, safety, and Keandre Miller, Running back, both listed as questionable. Uh, Taylor Martin, uh, their offensive tackle, and DJ Shark, both listed as questionable uh, on the injury report for both teams. Give me the Carolina Panthers to win this game by the final score of 22-17. And the Pittsburgh Steelers play host to the Cleveland Browns. Pittsburgh uh, took their lumps um, mighty heavily at the hands of San Francisco 49ers last week. Let's see if their offense and Kenny Pickett and the crew bounce back and uh, Matt Canada's head isn't in the sand. Cleveland's two-and-a-half-point favorites coming off of their impressive victory against my Cincinnati Bengals as they look to, to have an impressive 2-0 start to begin the season and uh, have an early lead through the first two weeks in the AFC North. Uh, Jawan Thornhill, uh, Sakai Aika, Maurice Hurst, Shelby Harris, uh, and uh, Jedrick Willis uh, Jr. are all listed as questionable for Cleveland. Meanwhile, uh, they have to place Cam Hayward on IR this week with a, a groin injury that he'll have to have surgery for. Uh, Deontay Johnson also will, will not play this game listed as doubtful. James Daniels, their guard. Anthony McFarland Jr., and uh, Larry Oben Joby are all listed as questionable for Pittsburgh. Cleveland's two and a half point favorites. Give me the Cleveland Browns to win this game by the final score of 24 to 7. And those are your week two picks against the spread between the, and with the final game between, of course, Cleveland and Pittsburgh. Well, there is your show and another episode of the Amatel I Can Tell You is podcast. 
uh, in the books. If you like what you heard, please do not hesitate to subscribe. You got a jam-packed sports weekend. You got Rays and Orioles for the East with the game on Friday night on Apple TV. Don't get me started on that tomfoolery. But you got three games with them. I will be uh, clued in and glued to the TV for every during for every single pitch, as you well know. Uh, so you have that this weekend, your college football, of course, week three of the college football season, and you have, of course, week two of the National Football League in store for you as well. So as we get JT going here to close out the show, if you like what you heard, please don't hesitate to subscribe, follow your boy on Twitter and Instagram at the J shield, as well as threads. Like what you heard new to the program, please don't hesitate to subscribe. Check me out on the latest episode of the Wednesday night tailgate that is up and, uh, raring to go on Spotify. And you can check this shot on Spotify when it's up. Uh, and I'll talk to you guys on the up and up coming up on Tuesday. Enjoy your weekend. Enjoy your week two of the National Football League. Y'all be blessed. Stay safe. Take care. See ya.